In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, everyone, to episode 17 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Aaron, alongside my running mate, Patrick. What's up, guys? Today, we are going to be feeling a classic, 1982 Best Picture winner, Chariots of Fire. With all the fanfare of national competition right now around the corner, we've caught Olympic fever, and we felt like this was the perfect time to talk about this powerful story about human spirit. No doubt, Aaron. This is a film that I have loved for a long time, and I'm excited for the chance to break it down with you, especially since this is your first adult viewing. I do want to quickly say to those listening to this show for the first time, thank you for being here, and we'd love for you to both check out our backlog of episodes and let us know what you think. So with that being said, before we start this race, let's do a little warm-up, shall we? Aaron, what have you been up to this week? Well, I have been spending a lot of time with my kids. Um, We've had camps this past week, so I have been playing chauffeur. Uh, which has taken away a lot of my evening free time because uh, the traffic situation has changed from my normal routine. And so because of that, I, I haven't gotten a chance to really partake in as much entertainment you know, as I usually would, and the, the types of entertainment I've partaken in have been a little more, uh, shall we say, not my choice. Um, so... <laughs> One thing, though, that did happen last week, uh, if most of you should know this uh, if you've seen our Twitter feeds and our Facebook feeds and if you follow us regularly. But if you're listening to this in the future, you might not know. Uh, but last week, we were able to talk, have it drop a mini-sode, uh, a bonus episode, and that was a conversation with an editor at ScreenRant.com named Andrew Dice. Uh, he's one of our favorite writers. Both of us have been longtime readers of his, and we really enjoy his stuff. We enjoy his uh, attitude, uh, his perspective on film criticism. It lines up a lot with our positive outlook. And so we just had him on to have a big conversation about the negative state of film criticism, uh, people that are all up in a rage over their fandoms, and other various topics related to that, including uh, quite a bit of discussion about Batman v Superman. Uh, Dawn of Justice, using it as an example. So I have no idea why we use that as an example. I, I have no idea. Because it's the only one that people seem to relate to this year, in 2016. <laughs> uh, it's not because you and I think that there's anything wrong with it, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, it was it was great, man. I mean, you were there, obviously. Uh, but for our listeners who have not listened to that episode, I, I highly recommend it. Um, in fact... You know, people always ask us when they first find our show or they first you know, talk to us in person or we meet somebody online and they say they learn that we have a podcast and they, they say to us, they're like, well, what would you what episodes would you tell us to listen to? And, you know, we t- we typically do point them toward that that first episode about Batman v Superman, because that's really where we established our format or our I guess not our format, but our vision. Our format's mm-hmm. changed. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be pointing people toward this episode with Andrew. Uh, he was our first guest ever, but it was just a great experience. And I feel like we were able to get into the weeds of what it is that we want to fight against with this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew was such a 
treat to have on. I could have just sat back and listened to him just talk. Uh, not only because he's a great writer slash um, speaker of words or whatever. I think I, I don't know if I said this um, offline, but his writing voice and his speaking voice just they 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 mesh. And he has a way to articulate ideas that are simple. People get them. They make sense. And he just had a lot of really, really great things to say on the subject of of film criticism in general and specifically the state of where we are in terms of, of that in cinema. So it was just, it was so great to have him on. Yeah. Just uh, an awesome experience for us. So highly recommend you go check that episode out if you have not yet listened to it. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to briefly hit on is something that kind of evolved just last night uh, for me. So I have a history with tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. And I hope that listeners, you won't tune me out right now just because I used the word D and D. You know, typically there's a stigma that comes along with people who play games like this, tabletop role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons in, in particular but there is a an offshoot of that that has come out in recent years called Pathfinder and it's it's for all intents and purposes it's D&D but i have been wanting to get back into role playing and you know i've kind of had conversations jokingly with my kids about it before but my new roommate uh, is big into this and he's a he's a storyteller that's one of his gifts uh, and the storyteller in the game the game manager the dungeon master um has to to put that story together has to create it and kind of guide the, the, the players on an adventure. So we got into some conversations about all this and, you know, it came down to this, this moment where he was like, well, why don't we just do this for the kids? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to, but it's just been me. And so now there's two of us. Maybe if you're willing to facilitate, maybe we'll do that. And so we, we started talking about it. We got a bunch of books offline um, and we spent, I'd say three to four hours last night just creating their characters. And man, the kids were so excited. My kids are 13 and 11, so they're older. But they were looking at all the different racial options. Uh, My daughter loves cats, and she found a cat folk race. You know, so she gets to be a cat druid who has a leopard companion. I mean, she is so beyond excited and she get you know you, it's like you get to choose your weapon well what do you want to do well i think i want to use a bow okay you can use a bow uh, my son he he's like dad i want to be a magic user i want to be a boom boom you know like i want those spells around uh, but i also want to heal and i'm like well there's not a lot that does that but we found this this elf sorcerer character that actually does get a healing ability and so he can he can do that uh he can be you know a healer and a mag uh, a damage dealer and so we spent this time, I mean, they, they wrote backstories for their characters. Um, we picked gear out. We did the whole the whole nine yards of, of creating our characters and just getting ready to play this game. And so um, they're actually doing it right now while I'm podcasting. They're in there finishing things up uh, in the other room. And they're so excited. Our first game is going to be this coming Thursday, I think, um, of this next week. Uh, and then just whenever they're over, we're going to play a couple hours here and there and work our way through a campaign. And the thing that I wanted to stress, I've gone on a little longer than I wanted to, but the thing I wanted to stress about all this is that this role playing here is I see their creativity coming out and it's such an underutilized medium for that because there you can be anything you want to be 
you can act. You're an actor. You become an actor. You're pretending. You're 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 doing things that we've done as children, you know. And and so they're eating it up. And it's just, I I cannot wait for this experience. I can't wait to sit down with them, you know, and see what becomes of these characters that they've created and how they handle trying to play them in a setting where random events are occurring and you know it's just everyday life so i'm i'm pretty stoked about that uh and excited to see what's gonna happen man me too just hearing you talk about that i'm i'm a little bit envious because listeners i i know i mean aaron's he's my best friend and so we talk offline about a lot of stuff about family and about his kids and kind of where we are in our lives and stuff and to hear how excited he is about this is is not just him pumping a game i mean there is something really valuable that comes from being able to own a character, to own a story. And as someone who considers himself a creative, there's a lot of value in that in terms of latching that on with a sense of community. And I love, Aaron, that you are doing that with your kids. I mean, you could be in your 20s hanging out with other 20-year-olds, you know, mid-20-year-olds or, or whatever, and, and this could be your life with just other other millennials or other you know, generation extras to see the love and passion you have for gaming echoed in the lives of your kids and seeing them take over that and own it for themselves. It's just a beautiful thing. And I, I, I just, I really love to hear that, that kind of stuff. I, I love hearing about that. So really, really cool. Well, thank you. Um, I'll be sure and let you know how the uh, campaign goes and report back once I, once I have some history under our belt and see, see what comes of it. Cause Oh boy, some of the things that have come out, some of their ideas, I'm I'm letting them run wild, and they are <laughs> running wild. Yes, absolutely, that's good stuff. Well, what about you, Patrick? What have you been up to this last week or so? This week, I had a chance to dive into a couple of films. One, of course, is a documentary because you will not probably get a recommendation or <laughs> a week of watching anything without a documentary coming across my my television. But the uh, the first one, um, I'm trying to go through the catalog of the Warner Brothers animation uh, movies that have been around for, I guess, the last eight to 10 years. We talked a little bit about, um, I believe, the Flash, the Paradox, uh, Flash Paradox Complex had to do with the Flashpoint storyline. Anyway, but this week I dove into a Warner Brothers animation feature film called Justice League Doom, which <laughs> Aaron is showing me the DVD that he has. I so own it. I'm, yes. So I'm guessing you've seen it too. <laughs> I have, and I didn't know you watched it. So I'm, I'm freaking out because you haven't told me this yet. Yeah, I, uh, I absolutely loved it. It was based on a comic storyline called um, uh, Tower of Babel. And it's essentially... <laughs> If you don't know the story ahead of time, it's a really great sort of aha moment when you find out what's actually happening. And I don't know if, should I spoil it or should I just kind of tease it? No, no, tease it. Definitely don't spoil it. I mean, it's got, it's got some cool reveals in it. Yeah. So essentially the, it's, it's obviously got the Justice League in it. Other, (laughs) you wouldn't have a title (laughs) of the movie doing that, but it's, uh, it centers around Batman's the main character. Uh, in a sense, but the um, the Justice League, each member is sort of being picked apart by their nemesis, 
in 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 various forms. So uh Superman's being taken down by uh is Lex Luthor maybe? No, I can't remember now. Wow, that's terrible that I can't remember my my hero's nemesis, <laughs> at least in the movie. But but each one is paired off against against an arch nemesis of some kind to try to they're they're being challenged to uh to uh, by 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 an employer to tear the league ap- the league apart for um for a financial gain. And so what we see is just each person being exposed to something that can weaken them mentally, physically, psychologically. And the second half is where a lot of the craziness really happens. So I won't go into it. But what drew me to it was the voice cast. I, I was going down the list and I saw Michael Rosenbaum. He plays The Flash, but he was known for playing Lex Luthor in the Smallville TV series. The best TV there series. ever has been. I, I, I'd have to agree, at least at this point. But I also saw, because I hadn't seen this until recently, please don't stone me anybody, but I just watched Firefly, the series, about a year ago. Or maybe it was a, shorter than that. And I saw that Nathan Fillion voices the green lantern so those two voice actors alone got me wanting to watch it and when i did i'd read the comic and so i kind of knew what was going to happen but to see it played out in an animated form uh was it didn't surprise me how good it was because i'd seen the flashpoint paradox i'm familiar with other warner brothers animation so it didn't surprise me how good it was what surprised me was just how the story itself surprised me even though i knew it as well as i did so if you get a chance check it out justice league doom i don't know if it's i'm sure it's streaming somewhere but i don't know if it's like a freebie thing like amazon prime or netflix the second one is this is on netflix this is the documentary that (laughs) i can't i can't see aaron's face but I, i don't know if he's smiling or shaking his head or whatever but it's called tony robbins i am not your guru there it is there's the shake of the head so if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, he's a 20 plus year vet when it comes to motivational speaking. Hold on. I got to interject real quick. Did you watch okay. this on purpose or did it just show up one day on your TV and you just were sitting there? And so you have some kind of like plausible deniability as far as intent goes, or did you seek this out? Uh, half and half. I was finishing up or I was sifting through Netflix and they said recommended for you, I guess, because I like documentaries so much. Mm-hmm. And I saw Tony Robbins face <laughs> pop up and I go, a motivational speaker. I've heard a little bit about this guy. Interested to see what this is about. <laughs> and that's how I got it. Okay. You chose it. Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. <Okay. laughs> so essentially what it is, is it's a documentary that follows one of his big seven-day seminar conferences called Date with Destiny. And there's not a lot of... There are interviews here and there, but it's really just a... From a filmmaking point of view, it's really just a point-and-shoot, watch what happens, how it plays out. And so I'm getting an hour-and-a-half cut of a seven-day seminar. And I got to tell you, man, Tony Robbins... Wow. Um... (laughs) He comes across as a charismatic, encouraging, discouraging, in your face, lay it all out there kind of guy. He does these weird, it's not, it was weird to watch this because it was as if I was watching a TV preacher 
a televangelist meeting with a guy who has no problem dropping the F-bomb whenever he feels like it. At one point during the seminar, he's talking to someone about, you know, her personal life. You know, she's, he's asking her, why are you here? What are you trying to seek? And she was talking about wanting to get through, you know, she wants to lose weight. She has a real problem with food. And he starts saying, did you love your dad? I'm like, what, what are you doing? Where, yeah. where does her dad come into this? And so he, he throws down these like, like spontaneous therapy sessions with people. And I don't, again, I've seen an hour and a half of a seven day deal. So I don't see the whole thing, but there are things that I definitely disagree with on a personal level, but I respect a guy who has the ability to control an audience, to get people literally out of their seats, jumping around a guy who at least in front of the camera believes in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So watching this and watching this this whole thing kind of play out over the course of a, an hour or two, you get a real sense of what this guy's all about, at least in some capacity. Um, he's a, he's a bit scary. He's a big dude with a deep brooding voice, and he's not afraid to get in your face about things. At one point, Aaron, he he doesn't make because he he says this. I'm not making you do anything. He convinces a woman to call her boyfriend on the phone in front of everybody and break up with him because mm-hmm. he's detrimental to her spirit or something like that. But yeah. it, I, don't know, I don't know if I can call it bizarre or incredible or <laughs> weird, but the, the documentary just starts with him talking to an individual and he just starts swearing at her. You know, he said, you need to, you know, this guy's an MF or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was enjoyable. It was definitely entertaining. I did some Google searching, you know, it got me doing some Google searching on finding out more about him and about his history. And he's actually compared to Joel Osteen in terms of how he motivates and some of the, some of the philosophies that, that he has. Well, that's scary. So that, well, it's it's interesting, yeah. It, and I'm not gonna make I, I can't make any kind of like, you know, final thoughts based on, you know, only seeing a glimpse of, of what he's about. But at the very least, the the guy is good at what he does, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I've seen somebody who can have that kind of influence on an audience of close to, you know, fifteen hundred people at a time over the course of six or seven days. It's just it was incredible. Very interesting. Not something I care to check out, but not everything is going to be. Um, I I applaud you for taking the chance and the risk to watch something that you had no idea about. That it appealed to the it appealed to the psychological part of me. Yep, I, I love I love looking at behavior and stuff, and he really he really influenced that 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 curiosity. Cool. All right, Aaron, let's move out of this and let's get into the meat of things. Uh, so. You let me know before you watch this. This would have been the first time you've seen this movie as an adult. And so, like you with Secret Life of Pets, I am really, really curious to know how you reacted to this movie. So, lay it on me. What'd you think? Okay. Well, I have intentionally withheld any of my review ratings or... (laughs) 
you know, any comments on this simply because I didn't want to. Yeah, I, 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 I looked at Letterboxd so trying to see what your rating was, and it just showed he watched it. I'm like, oh, man, he's really, 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 really being being uh, being secretive on this one. I, I was. And, you know, I never do that. I don't I don't ever do that. So that was I'm, that's really cool that you looked. Um, but I didn't want to. You know, it's kind of like us talking about expectations going into a movie. I didn't want to change the expectations um, for what the podcast might be like if I told you in advance uh, how I was going to feel about it. So I didn't love it. Like that's that's the short of it is that I didn't love it. Um, I will I will go back for a second and say that. I, so I've seen this, I, I believe, once if that I can remember when I was a young, young, young lad. Um, we're talking early '80s when it came out. Uh, my parents had watched it. I, I remembered, I remembered the beach scene, and I remembered the the score and the music. Um, what I didn't remember is that that had nothing to do with the movie, and that that was only in the opening and the closing credits. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to tell you, man. So I think I think my lack of some of my lack of uh, enjoyment of this film. Um, boiled down to my expectations for it and so we talk a lot about how trailers and news can set unrealistic expectations and hype but in this case it almost was the opposite so i knew the film's title i knew the film's theme Um, i knew the general description was about you know two men who are runners in the olympics who each had uh, these very strict uh, ideals that they were holding to um and so I expected a sports story and I got down to an Abbey uh, and I just <laughs> was not prepared for that. I and mean, I had my kids with me and I was like 30 minutes into it. And I was like, Oh my goodness gracious. I am. So <laughs> I was apologizing to them the whole time because they just didn't, I mean, they didn't get it. I mean, they got it, I guess they got it. They did get it. They understood it, but it was just, it's such a slow burn. Um, so the other, the other odd thing that I will say kind of on the other side of this is that I don't have a lot of criticism. This is as far as my criticism is going to go is this, this opening right here Um, outside of the fact that I felt that the narrative was way too slowly paced. um, There are a bunch of things I liked about this movie and I'm going to talk about them and I'm going to praise them. I enjoyed a lot of moments. I appreciate this film for what it is. I respect this, the heck out of this film for what it is. I respect the heck out of the Academy for having the gumption to pick this as its best picture over Raiders of the Lost Ark. I do not know how that happened. Um, and we're going to talk about that later, but um, I, I just, I respect them for doing that. Uh, but the overall experience just left me wanting. And I, I honestly don't think I'll ever watch it again. I don't think it's one that I have any desire to ever revisit. And so it's just in a weird place for me. Well said, man. And completely understandable. I watch this um, probably every four years for some reason. I have no idea why. What would that <laughs> correspond with? <laughs> How crazy. I realize, though, as I watch it more and more, that it's not, it's not a sports movie. At least it's not in a sense that we understand sports movies. Take now, Miracle. Nowadays, right. It's not, well, it's not okay, a modern it's, day sports movie. So let's take it even further. It's not an Olympic sports movie in that we understand. So we have Cool Runnings. We have Miracle. Two movies that are centered around what? 
the, the winning. sport themselves and the, the, winning. the winning. Yeah. Yes. True stories, just like chariots of fire. But what we see are a lot of games. We see a lot of bobsled races. We see a lot of training. We see a lot of things where there is a feel good aspect of it. Um, and those two movies are the only ones that really come to mind right now. I, I need to, I need to rack my brain to see if there are other Olympic movies that I'm familiar with, but Cutting right edge. now I don't. Yeah. But I'm, I, okay. Yeah. I know what you're getting but, at. Though. But, but even in that, we get a lot of training montages. We get, we yeah. get the sport being elevated. Cool, cool Runnings is about a bobsled team. Miracle is about a hockey team. The Cutting Edge is about a figure skating team. Everything centers around the sport itself. Chariots of Fire doesn't. It uses the sport to elevate the human interest piece in, this, in the journey that these two men are taking. So as I continue to watch this, what drew me into it was the score and that iconic opening scene of these guys running, just like you. And over time, more pieces and parts have become important to me. They have become very, very significant to my life. I, on a personal level, have attached myself to the ideals of Eric Little on a number of occasions. That was when I really started getting the movie as a young adult. That's when you know his character really connected with me because of obviously my spiritual beliefs and things that go along with that. But this viewing got me looking more at Harold Abrahams. And I love that. I love the fact that mostly motivated by the podcast, I'm now looking for more things that cause me to emote in different ways. It is very dialogue heavy. I found myself having to turn the volume up and down, up and down between dialogue and music action, you know, quote action sequences. I would highly recommend subtitles when watching this film. Oh, for sure. Because there is a ton of exposition. In fact, I was thinking about it today. I think the Olympic part of the movie is maybe 30 minutes of the two and a half hour movie. Yeah, and, 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 and even of that, I mean, the what you really think of as the Olympic part in, in, in any other movie, the actual sporting event itself. I mean, we're talking 10 minutes or less, probably. Right, right. The other aspect of it that I think is a disconnect for a lot of people is that Downton Abbey feel. I mean, it's it's Britain. It's a British movie. In fact, I think it was the first British movie since uh, Oliver, the non, uh, the first non-American movie to get nominated and actually given the award for best picture since Oliver. So you have an American audience. I mean, I'm thinking about this from a guy who's maybe 25 right now. You got a guy who's 25, pops this thing into his DVD player or cues it up on Netflix or <laughs> wherever it is. And he's watching the story about the British social class, these two guys. One's a Jewish, a Lithuanian Jew. One's a Scottish Christian from China. And where do you connect with that? As a young American guy, it's very difficult to connect with that story because there's virtually nothing, at least on the surface, of what to connect with. I don't really care about the British social class. I have really no interest in what it means to be part of you know, the Great Britain team. I think you and I joked offline about how I think at one point, one of the races, we saw 
seven runners and five of them were the U.S. were from the yeah. U.S. And I was like, yeah, dude, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> None of which came in first, by the way. Spoiler alert. Yeah, you think that. <laughs> it, well, you know, as you say that, you're right. Because when you're watching it for the first time and you're not expecting that, you're looking for someone of the U.S. persuasion not necessarily the U.S., but someone like us, like ourselves, to root for and to attach ourselves to. But the U.S. does not get... I mean, we are not projected in a positive light in this film. That was another thing that shocked me about how it, this was so well-received because it, it's not. Like, this This puts the American sporting scene in a... You know, it paints a picture of not having ideals and really just being in it for the win. There's a great training montage one of my favorite scenes in the film is when they show the U.S. training, and and of course this is it's juxtaposed. I can't. Why am I not saying that word right? <laughs> <laughs> juxtaposed. It's juxtaposed uh, against earlier training montages we see of the British and Liddell and Abrahams, but this American version of it, you've got like drill instructors with bullhorns, and they are like it's like a boot camp that these guys are going through. <laughs> it's bonkers, and man. It's and bonkers. when they come out, they're like rock stars, and there's so many of them, and it's like it's not very often that America is projected as the the top, and we're watching the story of someone conquering it. It's it's yeah. usually us watching us when we were an underdog. Mm-hmm. trying to conquer someone else sorry to, if, I great... got, if i got off track a little bit no, no no um that was something i really pulled out of it was just i, I was amazed uh, i mean again I, there's many things about this film i was amazed that this got made and got the reception it did because i cannot fathom this movie being made and 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 being loved in 2016 well i asked those same questions because as a as a 37-year-old guy, I started asking myself, why do I love this so much? And and how could I love it even more beyond just the personal connection I have to it? Although that's completely justified. I could watch a movie over and over again because of the personal connection I have to it. And so I enlisted the help of the great Roger Ebert. I looked up his review from 1981. So did and, I. <laughs> yeah. And it's, because, a, it's one of the best reviews I've ever read, to be honest with you. It really is. And... um you know, to, to hear why he thought it was good. This goes back to one of our viewers or viewers, excuse me, like we're, like we're a video cast. Sorry. Uh, one of our listeners made a point of saying, um, that when they try to discuss movies, they try not to use like it should have, I think Andrew talked about this uh, last week, but they try not to use words that are, um, What's the word? Uh, I can't remember. They, they try to use words that aren't accusatory. They're really just more objective or more subjective words. Like, I thought this, and this didn't appeal to me. And when I read Ebert's review, which um, I think we should link to it on the, on, on, we'll link to it on the Facebook page. Yeah, I'll make a note of that page. Um, he doesn't do that. He talks about why he connected with it. He talks about why it could be a disconnect for people. Um, he says, the film is unabashedly and patriotically British in its regard for these two characters, Little and Abrahams, but it also contains sharp jabs at the British class system, which made the Jewish Abrahams feel like an outsider who could sometimes feel the lack of sincerity in a handshake and place the Protestant Little in the position of having to explain to the peeved Prince of Wales why he could not, in conscience, run on the Sabbath. So, what he does there is those are plot points. Again, I'm not British. 
Again, I'm not a Lithuanian Jew or a Scottish Christian, but what he does in his review is he connect, he makes connecting points for us as viewers to say, this is how you can connect with this film. We're not in necessarily a class system, but we have principles. Everybody that who's anybody has principles. They have something that they believe in. They have a way that they live and a reason why they live the way they live, whatever that is. And so in, in some ways we as an audience connect because just like little and just like Abraham's, we have motivations for why we do what we do. And we have principles that cannot and will not be uh, broken because of what we believe, whether it's faith in something or whether it's a will to win. Um, I, I, I love there, there, there are two lines uh, that I'll just I'll bring up real quick. Um, little and Abraham's, and I think these solidify kind of who they are and how their characters function in the movie. Little says, when I run, I can feel God's pleasure. And he's talking to his sister, Jenny at the time. Abraham's in opposite of that says, I run to win. I won't run if I can't win. And in those two lines, what you get are almost a complete painted picture of where these guys are in their lives and why they're doing what they do. So even if you're not a runner, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not Jewish or whatever, you can connect with these guys because you believe in something. You have passion for something. And there are certain things that you won't compromise on. And that's where I think Ebert, what he brings out in his review is that that's where we can all connect. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, I, you know, like you on a personal, a personal level, you know, I'm drawn to Liddell because of his religious beliefs and his faith. But I found myself more intrigued by Abraham's storyline. Um, I particularly loved quite a few scenes that involved him and involved his um, just absolutely, I mean, gosh, his determination. Like it, it is, well, both of them, I mean, honestly, there's, there's, there's great scenes of this determination. I'll just go through a couple of them. So, I mean, the moment when Liddell is running early on in the movie and he gets knocked down uh, and it, and I was like, I was mad at first. I mean, this, this movie did, it, it did what we talk about. It evoked a lot of emotions in me, even if it's not something I absolutely loved as a whole. There were these moments that, that brought out these, these emotions. And I, I was upset. I was like, what is going on? How is that? I was like, how is that fair? I even said to the kids, I was like, what, what's going on? That's not fair. They can't do that. Um, but he gets knocked down and there's just this awesome drum and bass thing that goes on, uh, from Vangelis's score at that moment. And he, he finally, you know, gets back up and he goes to catch them. And, you know, just the way that the cinematography is done, where it shows the crowd cheering them on, there's an intensity that I don't see in a lot of films. Uh, there's just this, this great connection, uh, where it matters to those people that are watching him in that moment. And he's, he knows that too, but he's, you can see it on his face that, like he's just so determined. The facial expressions in this film are incredible. Mm -hmm. You you cannot, you do not get that uh, hardly ever in a film where you can read everything so painfully on these people's face, and he just goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. And I remember somebody saying, 
at the end of that that sequence with Liddell, and they say it's not the prettiest quarter I've ever seen, but it's certainly the bravest. You know, yeah. because he collapses at the end. Uh, yeah. And and then anyway, but Abraham's there's an equal determination for like like you said the difference in ideals, but the determination is the same, the drive is the same, and he has this moment where he's going to do the college dash, right? I love the college dash scene because it shows very early on that he has this desire to succeed, this desire to uh, challenge the traditional norms of success because he believes he can be faster. He believes he can do better. Uh, He can become the best. And I love that within that, uh, one of the things we see in this movie is there's a lot of sportsmanship which is rare um, during that college dash scene, you know, they're cheering for each other. You know, the, the guys that are both running the race are not really running against each other as so much as they're both just running alongside each other. And that happens right. a lot. Um, and so I love that. And the movie gives us this awesome kind of, uh, again, juxtaposed. Yes, I got it right. Uh, with this scene of his childhood in Scotland, right? Mm-hmm. Where, uh, I think it's, is that Eric? Is that what we see juxtaposed there? Is we, yeah. because during the Abraham's race in the college dash, we see Eric, uh, is Eric's when, in Scotland, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what you have is you have the college dash done in an entirety. And then the, the scene, the next scene is, is, is Eric little, and he's yeah. doing basically the same exact thing. Like they're running a race in the highlands of Scotland, but the way that the race is run, it looks like they're doing the college dash. And I just, I thought that was a fantastic way of visually showing us that, you know, these guys have an ultimate similarity in their goals. It's just a matter of why they want to get to that goal that is different. Yeah. I want to, I want to hit on something that you mentioned earlier about the facial expressions and I want to couple it with what the creative team did in terms of using slow motion. Slow motion can be a very powerful tool and I believe I think it was the Nerdwriter last week talked about one of the issues with BVS, in his opinion, was the sheer amount of quote unquote moments. And he used in in his in his review or in his commentary, he used several scenes that he pointed out, all of which were slow motion scenes. Because slow motion forces the viewer to watch everything and to really see all the stuff going on. Well, the creative team, uh, let me see if I can remember his, uh, the, uh, Hugh Hudson is the director. I think his use of slow motion here was very much justified every time he used it because what it did not only slowed down time so we could get a glimpse of everything that was going on, but we got to see these facial expressions from both Little and Abrahams and we got to see the op- see how opposite they were. So when we see Abraham's running, it is stoic. His face is stone-faced. There is, there is seriousness. There is determination. And I believe he's the first of the two that we see run. And so we're thinking, well, yeah, duh. That's, that's how a runner should look. And then we see Little when he does his, he, you know, he, he lifts, he, he does this thing where he lifts his head back. And what is he doing when he's doing that? He's smiling. I mean, there's a sense of elation, this sense of almost relaxation 
when he finishes out a race. So we get two distinct facial features from these actors to show even more about how they're approaching this sport. One doing it because he feels like he has to win. The other doing it because he's compelled to run. And that, to me, is a huge theme in the movie based on the idea of, is the goal worth more than the journey? And you have you have two characters that are acting out those two ideas. And we see how the journey affects both of them. And we see how the goal affects both of them. Yeah. I mean, it, gosh. I'm just remembering those scenes, to me, evokes emotion. Uh, it, it just simply replaying them in my mind uh, because they are so powerful in their depiction of what these two men feel. Uh, and it's passionate. You know, they're both passionate. You know, one's fiery passion and one's a more subdued passion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it brings to mind this notion of, well, Abrahams actually says this. He he talks about, um, okay, there, I'm just gonna. There, there's two distinct scenes that I wanna I wanna talk about just real quick. Um, so let's go back to little is is being sort of not berated, but he's being cautiously told by his sister, "You're you've been you've been talking about running, 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 running. You you've forgotten the mission of what you're on because at this point he's spent." In, He's, he's come back from China and he spent four years back in Scotland and he's been doing nothing but running split with preaching. We don't see a lot of his preaching, but we see his races and we get sort of an understanding that several years have passed that he's leading up to the Olympic games. And so he tells her as they're walking along the Glen, he says, I've decided to go back to China, to go back to China. I've decided to. Uh, to go back to the mission. But I've got a lot of running to do first. And he says this, he said, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. To run is to honor him. On a personal level, one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. You compare that to Abrams talking to Aubrey, his college friend that he meets you know, as they're going into Keys. And it's just before his 100 meter final. And he says, He's talking to Aubrey and he says, man, I envy you because you evoke this idea of contentment. He says, I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. Aubrey, old chap, I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I'll look down that corridor with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Aubrey, I've known the fear of losing, but now I'm almost too frightened to win. So you look at those two scenes just back to back. They they didn't go back to back, obviously. But if you look at them in tandem, you see why these guys are running. And Abraham specifically latches on to this idea that he's not content, that he's been running for so long to go after this almost elusive gold medal or this justification. I, I, the fact that he says, 10 seconds that justify my whole existence to me, I'm going, wow, that is almost incredibly bold and incredibly sad at the same time because we get this hint that Abrahams has gone, 
kind of to a point of saying, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's even worth it. So it's just, it, those, those moments were really powerful when you, when I, when I think about them together, because they, they really admit what both of these guys are, how, what, what their journey is like and, and how they've, they've seen their journey as runners. (laughs) Yeah, I agree on what you're saying. And, And especially about Abraham's, you know, it's this idea of everything being wrapped up in this one moment, in this one event that your life hinges on these 10 seconds or on this one race on this one accomplishment. And I, I think about us and just the everyday man. Um, you know, people do this on a regular basis. You know, people make their spouse, their one, their one accomplishment, their one thing that's their, it's their everything. And you see marriages fall apart because a spouse can't live up to that expectation. Your spouse can't be your everything. They can't do everything for you. They can't be that completeness. Um, people you know, throw themselves into their job um, and they try to, to live with that one thing. I just need to get this one thing to be successful and then my life is going to be complete and that's that's going to be able to to say that I have I have won. I've been a success. And, and it doesn't work like that. It, it Over and over and over, we see this in real life play out. Um, and I'm not trying to just make, make preach or make a case for Liddell's side. Um, but it is, that's what I see when I see Abraham's. I, I relate to that because it's such a common thing. It's something I've done myself. You know, I've thrown myself, I could throw myself into this podcast. I could say, you know what? This podcast has to be everything. I'm going to pour everything into this uh, project. And if it doesn't succeed, then that's my, that's my 10 seconds. I've failed. And that's, I don't think that's a good way to live. Um, and I, I mean, I'm glad that Abraham's comes out of this. Okay. <laughs> it seems like he does because at the end of the film, you know, he doesn't even seem concerned at all about anyone else's praise. I mean, he almost loses an amazing woman uh, who loves him and who he, he obviously loves uh, over this, this pursuit. And that, that's such a common thing, right? It's something that everybody can relate to. And that's probably why I attached so closely to, to his side of this story when I was watching it, I was, I was, I was cheering for him. I was feeling for him because I wanted him to not just win. In fact, I don't know that I even cared who won or lost. That's something this movie does. Again, going back to the fact that it's not about sports, it's really not. Um, I didn't. That wasn't on my mind. I didn't care what was going to happen at the end of the races. I cared what was going to happen to the people emotionally. Right, and and that's exactly what I think the director was trying to get across. Um. I, I think what we see is goals versus passions. Mm. I think all of us, every single person, can say they have goals. But we can all ask the question, what happens when you reach that goal? Well, you have to get another one. Yeah. Because goals, regardless of what they are, if it's weight loss, if it's getting that promotion, if it's getting to uh, 2,000 followers on Twitter, you know, whatever. It's always going to either, if you reach that goal, there will always have to be something else that's going to fill in that, that, that hole of what's the next thing. And in a lot of ways, that's really good. I mean, it creates drive. But from an artist's point of view, one thing I'm, I'm learning as an artist, as a first-time director and writer, is that passion is what drives the, 
the desires of my life, the passion to not only get better, but to make quality stuff as, as a creative person. And I'm not saying I have it all together because I don't. I mean, I was really disappointed that our film, which you can catch on Facebook, <laughs> cheap plug there. Uh, you, you don't have, um, I was disappointed that you, that it didn't get any nominations, that it didn't make the best of screenings. And I had to get over that. But my drive, my passion tells me, I want to get better. I want to know where this film hit with its audience. I want to know where it missed so that the next time I get to write, the next time I get to direct, it'll be not just better, it'll be more satisfying on, on a whole. And I think what this film does is it really paints a great picture of a person driven by goals and a person driven by passion. And sometimes they intertwine. I mean, we see Abraham's passion for sure, but his passion is usually motivated by a particular goal. Whereas I think little, his passion is what, well, um, I think the scene where he's in the room talking to the, uh, the Prince of Wales. And at the end of the conversation, the guy says his running is an extension of himself. When you, you, if you try to sever his running, you sever a piece of who he is. And so we see that little wasn't looking for the gold medal. He just wanted to run. And I think that's what made the outcome so interesting that, um, you know, he did win, but at the end of the day, it was really just about, he loved the running. He loved feeling God's pleasure, as he said. Yeah. And you can, you know, I was just, as you were talking, I, I kind of took that line and I, um, it trans transposed it a bit to, to you. And I was like, well, what if it said, I believe God made me for a purpose, uh, but he also made me creative. And when I tell stories, I feel his pleasure. Right. And yeah. this is, this is something that could be, you know, it could be transferred into almost anything you are passionate about, any talent you have, uh, anything you're driven for. It just, I just was thinking about that as you were mm. saying, and I started kind of just putting, inserting different, different things into that sentence. Um, <laughs> and it made it, it made it kind of neat. Did you start hearing Vangelis's chariots of fire music playing in your head when you were thinking that? Sadly, no, but I got to tell you, oh. that is, that is by far one of the highlights of it for me. Um, there's, you know, Part of the movie, I thought, okay, what's so great? Like, yes, the opening is great. It's it's great music. It's like synthesized at some point, like yeah. in the nineteen eighty early eighties, before that was even really a thing yet. Um, and I, I waited for a while, wondering, like, okay, well, where's the where's the real score piece is going to come in? But you know, there's a lot of the sound editing that is just so good here. Um, there's a moment. Where and I mentioned already how the drum and the bass kicks in when Lindell gets up after being pushed down and is and is literally like runs himself almost into passing out to win. Um, but there's another when Abraham's has lost to Liddell, and there's a gentleman up in the stands and he's closing these wooden seats one by one and he's just like smack, 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 and it's. It's going on while we see Abraham's flashing back to how he's just lost this race. And it so incredibly drew me in in that moment to Abraham's sense of loss and how much it was destroying him 
inside because of how much of a high standard he held him to held himself to like I wouldn't have gotten there without this this smacking of these chairs being closed leading into this music I mean and the music didn't come for a while it, it was a while of smacking and I, I was like okay what's going on and then it it slowly added to the music and added to the music and that that whole thing together was just really powerful and um it impacted me emotionally yeah i i love that scene for two reasons one exactly what you were saying the the foley work with with the with the with the seats and vangelis's music is interesting because let me ask you this you hear the chariots of fire theme you want to do what i want to run okay but i don't really so well okay so let's assume that you want to run and you try to run is that music conducive to running in terms of a beat? Oh, no, not at all. No, it's not. This is what's really interesting. We think of Chariots of Fire, the theme, and we think of running. Why? Because, yes, it's part of a movie that has to do with running. But then we try to plug it into our iPods and we start running with it. Nope. The Rocky theme has a better running beat than this does. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, wh- why did you choose this music? Why did this music get created? And my thought is that because the movie is a slow burn, the music accents that. And we don't hear it much. I mean, we hear it at the very beginning and at the very end. And then we hear other electronic weird scoring that, that happens during the movie. And this is the other part of that scene that I like is as he's flashing back, as he's, as he's going through the race, and again, it's slow motion, mm-hmm. we hear this almost spacey type synthesized that's what yes <laughs> what is going on like is is, is somebody like <laughs> is, is somebody tripping on something um and it's it's weird because you expect a downton abbey <laughs> soundtrack yes i mean you have you have yes you, you have he is an englishman being played a few times throughout the movie those are great by the way every time that they those, sing like the the chorus line gets going love it yes it's, it's fantastic. I, I love, I love the, uh, the Pirates of Penzance. I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great musical. Anyway. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that Vangelis consciously decided to use the technology of the day to help tell this story. Looking back on it, I don't know that I completely like it because it's not what I'm used to. I'm used to Michael Giacini. I'm, I'm used to Michael Kamen. I'm used to James Horner. I'm hearing, I'm hearing all these, great anthem-esque type things. And then I go back to Chariots of Fire and I'm hearing, you know, I'm like, <laughs> okay. But I can't justify that, that, that it's great music. And I don't want, just like the film, I think needs to be honestly, individually reviewed by, by a person instead of saying, well, it's one of the greatest ones because it's considered a great one. It's got best picture. I mean, this is where I have limited, this is where some of my criticism comes in. I didn't love the soundtrack. The opening and closing sequence and the, the Chariots of Fire theme is great, but not really loving the electronic stuff throughout because it kind of threw me out. However, because of this tension that we see throughout the movie and these individual scenes, it tends to work. There's an article on The Guardian that I'll post on the, uh, on the Facebook page as well where it, it they're interviewing Vangelis himself and why he chose the music that he did. And it's really interesting. I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but overall the soundtrack is not one that I would necessarily 
play over and over again in my headphones. But it was a bold choice for the movie. And I think in several places it worked in its own quirky way. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I liked it, which is hilarious, obviously, that you know the your one criticism is not the thing that bothered <laughs> me at all. I actually enjoyed it. It kind of was quirky enough that I was like, all right, now I'm getting a little out of my zone and I can deal with that because being in my zone was getting a little bit uh, of a drag at points. But, you know, before we we do our connecting points, which I know are a little more, again, emotional. I want to, are a little more dramatic in nature. I wanted to talk real quickly about some of the fun things in this movie, because it's not all drama. I mean, it is 90% drama, but there are, there are some fun little scenes that, you know, made me laugh, made me smile, made me giggle. Um, even got a chuckle out of the kids a couple times. And those are, I wanted to point those out because if it did not have those, this would have been a, a much, much harder to swallow movie for me. But there were just enough of those. Um, the chorus, the chorus lines and the, the musicals were one of those elements that, that really took us, you know, gave us a break from the drama to let us smile. Uh, the one that made my kids chuckle out loud was the first date between Abrahams and Sybil, right? Where, you know, she's like, what is this? And and he just kept saying, I'll have whatever she's having. And, you know, <laughs> you know, in your head, because you've watched enough Woody Allen movies and you've watched enough like romantic comedies, both that like, you know, this doesn't end well when someone just says, I'll have what they're having and has no clue. <laughs> but he leans over and he's like, what have I just ordered? <laughs> you know, like he asks her, he it's he tries to be this big man and, and, and brave. But then he follows it up real quickly by understanding that he might have made a huge mistake. And he's like, what have I, what have I done? <laughs> like, tell me what I just did. <laughs> what am I getting myself into? And so <laughs> they laughed at that. I smiled a lot during that scene. Uh, I also smiled a lot during the training montage uh, of Liddell and Abraham's uh, when it was jumping between back and forth between them. And they were both in their own little little way they were they were running against cars and i just i actually wrote down the word in my notes epic it was the mo- is the epic moment of the movie for me it was like the <laughs> that was like the michael bay <laughs> moment of chariots of fire <laughs> which let me tell you listeners if for some reason you've gotten this far because i don't even know if we did a spoiler warning so sorry but if you've gotten this far and you haven't seen this movie there are no chariots and there is no fire which was a little bit of a letdown but there are men running, <laughs> trying to outrun cars. Um, so that that uh, that gave me just a, a rousing moment. Um, and then, emotionally speaking, I got teary-eyed. And the one part of this film that I got teary-eyed at, and I can't—I wish I knew his—I wish I could remember his name. I think it was Jackson Schultz. Jackson Schultz, who. Right before the race, there's right before Eric's race, Liddell's race. They, Amer- the Americans are talking about him, and their coach says, "Don't worry about him." The Americans go to talk to each other, and they're like, "Coach doesn't know he's talking about. Like, we should be worried about him." <laughs> and they, you know, Eric's shaking their hands, and he he tells one of them, "Good luck. Don't expect to see you until after the race." And I just thought that was like the most nice 
put down in a way like the most nice smack talk smack talk <laughs> is what it was that you will ever hear because he he genuinely was shaking their hands and smiling and being a nice guy but he just he was telling them like I don't expect to see you because I'm going to be ahead of you but then they're getting in the blocks which is a great scene by the way I didn't know that that's what the shoehorn was for it was a spade I thought it was for them to like get their foot into the shoe better like a shoehorn but it was actually a spade I'd never seen that I'm assuming that's where the term digging in comes from I, I wanted Possibly. to look that up that was really cool because I'd never seen a, a runner do that it doesn't happen these days but we see Jackson Schultz walk over to, to Liddell and he hands him a note and I wish I had the exact quote in there I think you might have referenced it earlier but he's re- he reads this note from Jackson Schultz and it says something like, it, it says in the old book, you know, he who honors me, you know, with his... I, I, will, I will honor. Yeah. Yes, I will honor. And I cried. I, I literally got teary. That was the moment in this entire film. And, and I don't know what it was for. I think it was because Liddell had faced so much oppression as far as... Not, I don't want to use the word oppression. I don't want to use the word oppression. That's not fair. There are many, many people of faith out there in the world in various faiths that have died for their faith. That is not what Eric Liddell was facing. He was facing a challenge. He was facing people not understanding why he was doing what he was doing and why he had to believe so firmly, why he had to stick to his ideals and his guns, uh, his faith. And this was an opponent and someone that has been portrayed as nothing but brash and just over the top, the Americans, you know, it shows them running races and it shows them there's a great shot where it pauses and takes a snapshot. And it shows the American looking right as he's crossing the finish line, which we've already been told at this point is like the no, no of racing. <laughs> like you don't do that because you can lose. And it shows like how cocky and just full of themselves. This American team is. And then here's their star. Here's one of their like absolute stars. Right. And he walks over and he gives him this note. And it's like, it's like this moment where he, acknowledges what Liddell is and who Liddell is. And, and I get that. That's what movies are to me. They're that moment. And so no matter what I feel elsewise about chariots of fire, that scene, and because of the film setting it up, that scene is where I, I felt the most. Mm, That's great, man. Love that moment too. Um, And like you, there were some really, not laugh out loud moments for me. I mean, the ones you pointed out were pretty funny, but the ones I enjoyed the most were in particularly when, when little is addressing a crowd, he does it twice. Once he's giving out awards for these little junior race games. That's his first, that's our first introduction to him. Second time we see him doing a kind of a, kind of an on the spot sermon after a race that he's won. And he'll say things like in that first scene, he talks about, you know, being born in China, he never understood the heather and the hills as he as he so eloquently puts it. And then, you know, he's he's making little jokes here and there. And then he finally says, I, uh, you know, being here in this place, I can finally say that I can honestly call myself. And then he pauses and you hear this like in the background, <laughs> like some goat interrupting him and he grins. And I don't know if it was ad libbed that he that he was supposed to pause, but it's as if he was saying, oh, and then he goes, a Scott, you know, like, because <laughs> this is where I am. I'm in Scotland. Right. And then, you know, in the in the scene where he's giving he's giving the um, the sermon, he's so sincere in how he presents it. But he also says things like 
It's nice. You love the elation as the as as the guy crosses the finish line and and hits the tape, uh, and you you celebrate with him. And he goes, especially if he's got a bet on it, you know. <laughs> or he'll say, "Today you came here to see a race, one I happen to have won." And you just uh-huh. these little things where I'm thinking, here's a guy who is comfortable, quote unquote, preaching or speaking in front of people, and he's very. I laughed because he's he, those two scenes made him very approachable. And uh and so I was able to kind of laugh with him in those moments where he was very lighthearted but also got into the the scenes where he was very much standing on his principles and I thought that was great. But uh some really really fun moments. I love the the ribbing that um when when Abraham's sees Sybil, you know, his his you know, would be, you know, soon to be girlfriend, uh, as she's performing at the, um, as a, as a, I don't know, as an actress or as a musical right. person. Showgirl of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Aubrey is the one that introduced him and he ends up basically. The where Aubrey's he takes his confused. champagne right after he took his girl. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he, at the end of the scene, he goes, he goes, sorry, old boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> what oh um, man that's terrible yes, and, oh, and there's like this pause of like three seconds and we we see everybody laughing except aubrey and he's like i just got schooled yes, again yeah the look on aubrey's <laughs> face the whole time is just like it's like it's like uh, you understand that you felt that you've we've been that guy or, or that girl who's you know had the person we wanted stolen right out from under us in our eyes and yeah it's yeah. a great scene it's so great so those are some great moments but there there's one uh, there is one place that I really connected with the movie. And for me, it is the moment that Little wins his race. We see that slow motion elation on his face, coupled with the voiceover about him feeling God's pleasure. And then we cut to Abraham's looking at him, reinforcing the idea that even though Abrams has won his medal, he's the fastest man alive he still isn't content, at least not when it comes to his running. And I believe in that moment, we see a change in Abraham's, one where he realizes that there are more satisfying pursuits. For example, his relationship with Sybil. And then we see after the big kind of fanfare of everybody coming home, we see Sybil waiting at the train station and she's just kind of looking. There's nobody around. It's almost like it's just him. It's just her the train conductor assistant guy. And then we see a, a, a close up of Abraham's coming off the train and looking at her and smiling at her. And she looks at him and then they're, they embrace. And as they're leaving, there's a little sign, like not very big. It's just a small poster that says something like, um, gosh, I can't even remember, but it says, you know, you know, great Britain brings home gold. Um, Abraham's is our hero. And he um, he looks at it and he kind of snickers at it, like it's not that big of a deal. And he continues to walk by. And I think from from that moment, I believed and felt satisfaction knowing that Harold Abrahams has found satisfaction in something. He's found a passion. He's found someone. We're assuming that that this is what it is that that, that he is passionate about, and that he can live the rest of his life knowing that you know what, I don't need to win any more medals. It'd be great to, but my life is not necessarily driven by having to prove myself because not only have I done it, but I also have found validation in this relationship. And, and that to me felt very satisfying. Um, because for the, for the, throughout the whole movie, 
Abraham's a sort of a villain in some in some ways. And he sort of to see him have that kind of redemption is really, really special for me. That's great. Um, I, I love, I love that that's your choice for your connecting point because I kind of went over my very close second, uh, as you, you heard, you know, that was yeah. a very, very tough choice for me. Uh, but what I ultimately chose and felt was my connecting point, um, was an Abraham's race moment. And so I think it's, it speaks to the film that we have these two and, you know, people are going to connect with one more than the other. Um, and viewers experiences are going to be different and that and a lot of films don't have that, you know, a lot of films, that's not the point of them. The point is for you kind of all to experience it the same way. Um, but you and I here, we have two big races in the Olympics, uh, two big kind of final moments and you choose one and I choose the other, uh, that what we connected most with. So for me, it's the Abraham's race. Uh, he's, you know, I mentioned earlier with the digging in with the spade, that was really cool for me. I was not expecting that. In fact, most of the, most of the film, my kids and I, every time we saw the spade, we thought it was a shoehorn and we were proud of ourselves <laughs> for figuring that out. And then we saw them digging in the dirt with it and we're like, hmm, we're not so smart. Uh, <laughs> but just that. This is a long scene that I'm going to talk about. It's not just one scene. It's kind of a stretch of, of time in the film, but there's fantastic cinematography in the entire sequence. Um, and when, when Abraham's visualizes the lane, we get this almost Kubrick like shot staring down the lane. And it's in this, he gets this tunnel vision, right? Where everything to the left and right of him is blocked out. But it doesn't tell you that. The film doesn't have to use words, doesn't use exposition in that moment. It just shows you this tunneled lane in front of him. And we know what that means. We know that he is seeing it that way. That's not what it really looks like, but that's what he's seeing. And then you hear in, you hear this voiceover of Sam, his coach, giving him instructions just very quietly, reminding him what to do, reminding him how to how to run, what to what to do in those moments and and then we get the race right which is literally the least the least interesting part of it amazingly um but then he wins and for i'd say many many seconds i was not certain i had seen him actually win um there's kind of flashbacks happening where it's replaying it and i kept thinking Oh my gosh, this is going to be a dream sequence or something's going on. Like he's not actually one. It's going to, the movie's going to all of a sudden cut to real time and he's going to fall on his face or something. Um, but that's not what happens. And we see Liddell come down and he's smiling. He's ecstatic. He's so happy for Abraham's and he shakes his hand. Um, uh, and it's just, you know, it's this different kind of, take because Abraham's that's not how Abraham's felt about Liddell he always respected him it's not like he didn't uh, but he didn't outwardly go after him and he, he wasn't looking for Liddell to be successful as well because he had to win uh, but in that moment Liddell you know shows him that sportsmanship that we've seen and then it ends with Sam who is such a great character uh, I believe he won an did he win an Oscar I believe he won the best supporting Oscar I don't know. I'd have to look okay. it up. I'll have to look it up. I know someone won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this film, and I, I got to think it's got to be him. Uh, but 
he's standing there watching outside the window and he wouldn't go in the stadium for the race. And the way he knows that Abraham's has won is he just sees the flag go up, right? It's almost like waiting outside the Vatican, waiting for smoke to tell you that their new Pope has been selected or whatever, the, however that works. <laughs> uh, but Sam sees the flag go up and he just, the emotion on his face, the emotion he lets out and he, he's so elated. He goes, he sits down on the bed and then he has that, that moment of, overwhelming happiness that we've all experienced at some point in our lives where he lets it out and he punches and he punches a hole in his hat. And I just, I thought that that whole culmination between the lead up to Abraham's race to Abraham's succeeding, meeting his goal, being greeted with sportsmanship and, and, and love and care from his, from Liddell, his competitor that he's, he's pushed himself against so much. And then the, the absolute elation from the guy that's been in his corner from the start pushing him um making him better inspiring him along the way um i just i really connected with that whole sequence the most of anything in the movie that's great that's absolutely wonderful i i love that scene as well particularly the the very beginning of that seeing the athletes come out in that slow-mo they've gotten prepped and you see each individual person coming out what i think is interesting is you almost see the arrogance of the Americans because you have Paddock not almost coming out. not well yeah but you see Paddock in particular with his blonde hair his little like pouty lips and his little yellow sunglasses like I'm too cool for school I got this man and then you see Abrams behind him looking completely stoic and, and stern like I've got to do this but at the very end when when Sam punches the hole in his hat. He kind of you know, holds his face and says, oh my gosh, what did I do? And then he, he whispers to himself, he says, my son. Yes. Like, to me, I'm going, wow, that's the relationship right there. Sam has become more than just a coach. He is connected with Abrahams. Abrahams is connected with him. They've almost found some real meaning with their relationship with each other. And I thought that was just so great. So thumbs up to you on that one. That's a great connecting point. Thank Speaking. Of connecting. Before you do that, I want to okay. wrap this thing up. I want to end us. I want to end our chariots of fire talk with one quick sentence from Ebert's review, because I okay. think that for all my overall feelings for the film, there is nothing that I disagree with when it comes to people who love it and who connected even more so than I did with it. Um, and I think that this line from Ebert really sums that up in a great way. Ebert wrote, Chariots of Fire is one of the best films of recent years, a memory of a time when men still believed you could win a race if only you wanted to badly enough. Fantastic. Yeah, I just, that, I, I can't say it better than that. So I want to leave the listeners with that quote as far as Chariots of Fire goes. So, let us know what you thought about it because yeah, I'd like to know if anybody out there is like me who hadn't really seen it until their adult years and how you felt about it. Did you have a similar response to me uh, or are you like Patrick who's watched it many times over the course of your life and your opinions on it have changed over time? Uh, what's your, what's your story? What's your history? What, you know, we're going to do some of these feel in the classics scattered out uh, in the future as well. We, we want to keep these as a regular reoccurring part of our, our show because we really enjoy them. I mean, they give us a lot of emotional uh, stuff to connect with, 
Um, and we, those are great ones for you to, to react to and tell us what you feel about them as well. For sure, man. And what I dug about this particular movie in our discussion is that a classic doesn't necessarily equal agreement or love for the film. There are going to be movies out there, which this is what I love about our podcast. There will be movies out there, even classics, that one or both of us may or may not have a genuine love for. And the experiment, the experiment of finding the best in things, even though we don't overall care or are hugely passionate about the film, really brings out the best in, in the discussion. Yeah, we get to feel a classic in two weeks as well and i'm uh pretty <laughs> is this is this it's gonna double as a second chance pick right uh it is it I, uh, only because you're calling it that it's a classic <laughs> movie. exactly but i think i think rotten tomatoes would consider it a second chance <laughs> all those who hated armageddon need not listen because why do, why do you spoil things like this come <laughs> on we had something going there man <laughs> i'm letting them know i'm letting them know we are covering because i'm excited that's why because i know it's not next week Next week we have something else going on, but I, I'm looking at two weeks from now. Yes, yes, I am that guy. I am that athlete who is looking ahead. I'm I'm looking past my opponent because I got to get to Armageddon. Because guys, I can't wait to talk about this movie. All right. Well, well, well. The first round pick before you get to Armageddon is going to be we're diving back into the world of superhero blockbusters. We're going to be checking out Suicide Squad next week. I am personally not as jazzed about this as I was about the other big blockbuster superhero movies that we've seen, but the trailers and your history with the property in terms of the comics and stuff, plus the fact that we have a podcast that will probably you know give us an obligatory reason to cover a movie like this has gotten me excited about uh, reviewing it. So I'm excited about it on a different set of le- a different kind of level, and uh, so be expecting that. This time next week. If you want to um, join the discussion, we hope you do. You can catch us on Twitter at Feelin' Film, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Feelin' Film, or you can check us out on our website, feelinfilm.com. If you want to tweet at me or talk to me personally, you can catch me at Shoeless Patch on Twitter, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm also on Facebook at that same handle. And you can also visit my website, uh, thisispatch.com, to get more of an in-depth idea of who I am. How about you, Aaron? Well, if you would like to tweet at me or come message me on Facebook, be my friend, uh, I would welcome that. You can find me at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I'm all over the internet with that handle, so just look it up, and I should be the only one that comes up. Uh, Patrick actually started a new feature this week. Uh, he decided we should have a weekly poll, which I thought was brilliant. And so our first poll went up last week where we had you trying to decide between the original crew members of the Star Trek Enterprise, uh, which one would you leave behind, I think is how it was worded. Either which one would you leave behind or which one would you not you know have come with you yeah which which one would have to be sacrificed if you had to get rid of one of them for whatever reason which one would have to be left uh back at uh starfleet yeah so we put that up we got some good commentary and uh, banter going back and forth uh, regarding the votes and the answers on that so we're going to continue that we're going to keep doing a weekly poll uh question and that's going to be 
some point during the week. We don't know exactly when it might end up being a regularly scheduled thing, but for now we're just going to do it at some point. Um, that'll be on the Facebook group, which is growing. So you can come find that. There is a link to the Facebook group on our website that Patrick mentioned. Uh, there's also a link on the sidebar of the Facebook page for the show. So you can get there if you seek it out. You know, the only other thing I want to say is that we would love to hear your feedback about what movies you would like us to cover. Um, the Facebook group, again, is a great place for that, but you can email us, feelinfilm at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet, Facebook, whatever you want to do. However you want to get a hold of us is fine. Uh, but the Facebook group, we're constantly getting people talking about the movies that they love, the movies that they feel are underrated, um, mm -hmm. the movies that make them have an emotional connection, make them feel something. We want to know what yours are, and we want to hear your suggestions. Uh, some of those may make our list, and you know, there's lots of podcasts to come. So we want your suggestions. Uh, that being said, I think that's about it for this one. Yeah. Hope you're going to watch the Olympics. Go USA. All right. Well, until next week when we cover Suicide Squad, stay positive. And keep feeling film. <laughs>